Well, today we finish up a series that we've been journeying in for eight weeks, actually nine, because we had an extra one in the middle when Oliver shared with us. This Sunday, we bring to a close a series called Follow, where we went through different narratives of Scripture where Jesus is inviting people to come follow him. And whether you've been around here for a while or maybe you're new here today, it's really not me in one sense that stands before you. I pray, you know, I was praying there during the great worship today, Lord Jesus, will you just stand before your people and will you challenge them to seek out and consider this idea of come and following you. So I pray today that the Lord Jesus uh, speaks through me to give you a personal invitation for you to come follow him as we finish out and grab a hold of another narrative that has a question in it that's incredibly critical for us to consider today. But I'd like to do just a quick review of where we've journeyed on this, especially if you're new today, you're coming in at the end of the movie, but you can always go online and pick up some of the services and some of the messages from before. But here's a little bit of that review if you recall. We started out saying everybody is invited to follow. Everyone. There is not a single created human being on this planet that ever has been or is or ever will be who is not given an invitation to come follow Jesus. And part of our passion for missions as a church is to be able to get that invitation out to all people in all countries around the world. And I want to encourage you here this morning that you are invited to come follow Jesus. And then we says it's an invitation to relationship. It's not an invitation to church or to an institution or to a creed. When Jesus spoke and he said, come follow me, it was to a personal relationship. And this is all about relationship. And then we said being a sinner is a prerequisite. All of us are sinners, Scripture says, and there is not one person who has ever followed Jesus that was not a sinner. And so if you think that your sin, your disobedience, your indifference, your double-mindedness, whatever it may be, disqualifies you for being a follower, then you are wrong. Because a follower is someone who is a sinner that Jesus calls. And then the other prerequisite is this, that if you have doubts, you're good. There is not one person uh, who became a follower of Christ that did not, uh, not believe at the beginning. In fact, those who were a part of his uh, core follower group uh, had significant doubts. Even doubting Thomas, as we looked at, all the way to the very uh, end on the other side of the resurrection. So if you're a sinner and you have doubts, those are prerequisites. It does not disqualify you from being a sinner. And so no excuses on that front, if you will. And then we parked for a week on something that was very intimate and important. And as that is, and it's in this area of relationship, that when Jesus calls you, you are called by Jesus himself. That's why I say up here this morning, oh Lord, may I get out of the way, and may Jesus, his spirit who's with us in our gatherings, may the spirit of Jesus be the one who calls you to come follow him. And this calling is to his personhood to him in a personal relationship and I don't care how long you've been a follower of the Lord if you forget those two dynamics there that he picked you and he wants you to be with him then you are amiss and you need to have fresh spiritual life stoked within you 
because Jesus every morning is calling you and I to himself. And then we said that followers sort of uh, dress alike. There are certain ways to, to wear things, and maybe you're not familiar with those letters, but they come from the Colossians 3 chapter that we looked at. And it said that we're to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and then over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then we said a tough week that following will cost you something. There will be a defining moment where you say, oh my goodness. But that question that comes in that moment leads you to life. And that cost is not a cost when considered the greater splendor and riches that God brings to you when you fully follow him. And then last week we looked at followers are great leaders. Followers are great leaders. There's a servant heart that we're to carry. And what a great leader is, is someone who leverages their authority to the benefit of those who are under their authority or around their authority. And so that's sort of a little bit of the journey. Where we're going to land today in this narrative, and if you've got your scriptures, you can turn there. It's in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and, and what's unfolding in this story is really right on the heels of two of the greatest miracles that we hear about with Jesus. There was the feeding of the 5,000, probably more, right? Because there were women and children. The feeding of the 5,000 with the two loaves, uh, of, of, with the loaves and the fishes. And Jesus did this incredible miracle. And the people were taken back by it so much that they were excited and they, they wanted to grab him and make him king. Well, he sent his disciples away on the boat across the Sea of Galilee, and he uh, uh, stepped back away so they wouldn't take him and force him to become a king, which was not uh, what he knew he needed to be. And then you have the miracle of Jesus meeting up with the disciples on the water, the walking on the water of Jesus, and they were spooked and they were afraid. And he gathered with them, and they got to the other side of the lake. And so we pick up the narrative there following these two great miracles and this um, growing mass of people who were interested, intrigued, who were wondering, who were checking out Jesus. They had their own preconceived ideas of who Jesus, who the Messiah, and that's who they hoped Jesus was, was to be. And so they brought all that expectation or baggage with them. And so if you'll turn with me to um, John chapter 6, we find these words in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, they noticed that uh, the disciples had left by themselves, and there weren't any boats left. Where did Jesus go? They were intrigued by that because some of them went up around the lake and, and they were uh, in this area which is called Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee is where uh, this event happens and gathers. And it's like, well, how did you get here? But then like, when did you get here? There was a little bit of this intrigue, but there was something in their um, underlying spirit that they were really wanting to know about. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, he looked at him and go, really? You guys are all gathered around. Some of you follow from here. I picked up new people here from the north side. We got this um, growing mass. And he's teaching there in the synagogue, and he knows their hearts. 
sort of scary to be around Jesus. He knows our hearts and he knows our thoughts with that. And he says, you're only here because you got fed. You think I'm a roaming McDonald's. And so you come to get some more quarter pounders and more chicken nuggets, right? That's what they came. Or to get a shake or a coffee or something. You're like, I know why you're here. There was this personal, self-centered desire. And he called him out on it. He called him out on it. And then verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works of God? And he answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And, and so he's starting to uh, preach to them again and exhort them, this mass group of people, that you're here for some uh, very self-centered reasons, but I'm here to be able to give you life. And so they ask him, well, hey, Hey, over there on the other side, or we heard about it from some people that came from around the corner. Um, what sign? What sign you going to do for us? Then they will give, see it, and we will believe. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I want to pause here for a second. Some of you know the story. Uh, the story when the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites. The Israelites were freed. They crossed uh, the Red Sea. They end up roaming in the wilderness for a while, before 40 years, before they uh, got to the promised land. They were hungry, and God every morning would send manna, which was bread, to cover the ground, and they would go out and gather it, and he would uh, provide meal for them, all right? And so they were like, hey, you know, we've carried this story with us for generations that that uh, God provided manna from heaven. And they believed, the Jewish people believed, that the coming Messiah would also, in some kind of manner, give them bread from heaven. So there's a little backstory to what's going on here when he's talking about, I know why you're here, is because I fed you the loaves and the fishes on the other side of the lake. But then he starts talking about the bread of life, and then they're saying, oh yeah, well the Messiah, the coming one, he was supposed to open the floodgates of heaven and allow uh, manna to come. So um, what sign do you show to us today, good person? Very truly, I tell you, He said in verse 32, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, give us this bread. He answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. All right, so the conversation's getting a little intense and deep. Starting to lose a few people. Maybe it started to lose you already here this morning. I'm sorry. Hang with me. Jesus is calling them to think more deeply and more transcendently about what their need is in life. We're hungry. 
Have you ever been so hungry that all you can think about is food? Maybe it's happening to you this morning right here. I'm hungry. And they're hungry. And not only were they hungry for food, they were hungry for a Messiah, but they had a preconceived idea of who this great leader would be. And this great leader would establish his, his reign in the political systems of that day. But Jesus was trying to explain, you don't understand. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will have life. And I am the one who is the bread that has come down out of heaven. And they're sitting there like some of you are this morning. And when I've read this passage time and again, I can spin as well going, what? What? What's he talking about? We're just here to, you know, get our, our free quarter pounder. What, what's the deal? And so he's trying to leverage into them to think more deeply and transcendently concerning life. And that he's the one who is the author of life. In fact, the first part of John, just a few chapters before, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This whole idea that God is the bread of life, the word, in Jesus Christ. And then, if you'll pick it up with me, he says this. He says this in verse 41. While they say this is the Jews that began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And then you got this verse, verse 42. They said, uh... What? You came down from heaven? What? Bread? What? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So somebody in the back row, like those of you in the back row there, they start picking up saying, hey, hey, we know you, Jesus. We know your parents. We know your mama and your dada. It's Joseph and Mary. You didn't come down from heaven. Yeah, there's some like weird stories about your birth and stuff, but we know where you came from. Who do you think we are? And so some grumbling and some other things start to take off through their midst. And Jesus continues to exhort them, and he, he tells them that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard from the Father and learned from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who has seen uh, is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And He goes on and He says these things. And, and then, then He takes this turn with this bread thing. And He says something that uh, was just startling. Now, we have some context today, friends. You put yourself in that synagogue in Capernaum where they're trying to figure Jesus out, and yeah, there's some good things coming from him, and we really want him to be king, but he's you know, sort of not stepping up in that right. And then Jesus says this, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. About that time, the parents start going, okay, kids, let's it's just let's sort of go here and, and just sort of mosey our way out. Where is he going with all this? 
this is some heavy kind of weird teaching. And it got weirder and weirder and weirder for many of them. And it wasn't just for them. It also got weirder for the 12 that were locally there. And Jesus, I think, I think in part, there was some indignation. Because they supposedly thought that they were all for this Messiah to come. But really what they were all for was for their own self-interest. And as this thing got weirder and weirder and weirder, there was grumblings that started to happen and people starting to check out and people starting to think, what's he really calling us to? And friends, we don't have time to, to anchor there, but Jesus was calling them to a deep, intimate relationship with him. The flesh and the blood, we sometimes think, well, maybe he was given a foreference to uh, the Lord's Supper and communion that would be shared. Well, maybe so, but he was much, it was much deeper and higher than that. He was calling them that their vital sustenance for living needed to come from his very essence. Not just some casual relationship. And so he started to unpack a very, very hard teaching. On hearing this, verse 60, many of the disciples says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And so it wasn't just that it got weird. It was getting hard, and it was getting very uncomfortable. And so this multitude, and the disciples here was this, this mass of people that was sort of following around from place to place or were showing up on the north side of Sea of Galilee that particular day after the two miracles and stuff. And we find people leaning into Jesus, and then they start leaning back. And they go, oh, I don't know. This is, this is sort of a hard teaching. Who can accept this? Verse 61, aware his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, does this offend you? So he's looking over at his 12 that are gathered, and they're not quite sure what to do. They're wanting to sort of pull Jesus off stage, just like, hey, Jesus, come here. You're, you're losing the people. You're losing the people real fast. And I don't know, Matthew, can you just get down here and tell some tax collector jokes or something? We've got we to deal with Jesus. We've got to talk, you know, Jesus, you need to talk about some other. I mean, use one of those parables. I mean, your parables, those stories are great stories. You can't really understand them, but they're engaging. Or, you know, talk about prayer or something, Jesus. Or, you know, that thing about blessed are the peacemakers or the cheesemakers or something like that. You know, just get out there, that parable, you know, about the two men, I mean, the two uh, sons and the dad just do something so they're pulling him aside and he knows what's going on in their mind is like whoa what's happening here is is this all offensive to you he said you know because they know 
They know if you lose the crowd, then there's going to be trouble. The Pharisees are sort of right behind the crowd, and the crowd's the only thing that's keeping the Pharisees, the people that are after Jesus, from, you know, from dealing with him. And, and, you know, they were thinking, hey, Jesus, we're real close here to you, like stepping into being the king kind of thing. And, and Jesus, there's, um, you know, if you, if you become king, then we sort of get some accolades too, and we get some prominent positions. So they had sort of the self-interest kind of thing going on. They're like, Jesus, I don't know, man. You can't hide from Jesus. He knows your thoughts, right? And he says this, Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Oh, my gosh. Now he's talking about not only he came down from heaven, that he's going to raise up and ascend to the heavens. Oh, man, come on, let's get offline here. Let's go another direction with the people. Jesus says the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are all full of the spirit and life. He was deep, he was transcendent in his teaching about the flesh and the blood and the eating the flesh, drinking the blood. It's like, yeah, it's gross, it's weird, but you know, there's something about the vitality of life that comes from the very presence of Jesus and being in communion with him. Yet there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him. So as he's talking with his disciples, he knows that the other followers that are out there, the would-be followers, there's dissonance and things going on and accolades being said and people are sort of, you know, creeping towards the back and the disciples, you know, the disciples are thinking maybe we ought to just sort of mosey our way back here. It was great for a season. I'm just going to lean up against this pillar and then I'll slip outside, those kinds of things. This is a really touching, defining moment in so many ways. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Yeah, whatever. And then we have in John chapter 6, verse 66, what I've come to believe is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The master disciples, we're out. We are going to unfollow you. We gave reference to this before on social media today. We sort of know what the word unfollow is. I'm unfollowing you. Whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, unfollow. In fact, you can block people. From what I understand, you can block people from even searching your name. I'm done. And so maybe they not only unfollowed Jesus on social media, they blocked him. We're out. That's sad. That's a sad verse because what happened then with those people? But here's the interesting thing. Jesus is watching his 12. And he's leaning into discerning what's happening in his inner core. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Oh, 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 now it's getting personal. Now you're really meddling. I was just sort of going to slip out the back. You don't know what's going on Judas's mind. He was already maybe thinking some of the betrayal stuff. But Jesus just confronts the twelve that he picked and chosen and said, You getting out here too? You quitting? Are you walking away? Because of this hard teaching that's difficult to accept. Maybe a weird teaching that you don't fully understand. Whatever may be going on. And then Peter. Peter, we always give him a hard time, right? 
But Peter, he stepped up. And Peter actually did something really cool. Really good. Said something. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? He had processed. He was thinking through all this. He was watching the scene that happened. He understood the hard teachings and the weird kind of stuff that was, you know, making a lot of people uncomfortable. And you just sort of start seeing them leaving the crowd. It's like at the end of a ball game when the ball game, you know, it's a blowout or something. Just people start getting up and leaving before you know, whole stadium's almost empty and they're still playing the last few minutes. Why? Because the game's over. That kind of environment's starting to happen. That would make you anxious, wouldn't it? Do you still believe we can win the game? Huh? Huh? 12 points behind with 12 seconds to go? We're out. And so this environment, you would have a tendency to sort of join the crowd. But Peter steps up and he says a declaration, a, a, a statement that's a, 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 it's a question, but it's really sort of a declaration of his heart. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the one that uh, imparts this life, and we've been hearing about it. Where, where else are we going to go? That question, to whom shall we go? There's a question for every one of us. Okay. It's hard, challenging, weird, frustrating, but where are you going to go? To whom shall you go? Peter, come back. You have the words of eternal life, and not only do you have the words of eternal life, and we often think of eternal life like after you die, eternal life, but the understanding of eternal life is a full, abundant life. Do you know if you believe in eternal life, and you believe that if you're a believer in Jesus and a follower of him, you get to have that eternal life, that your eternal life does not start after you die? You have now begun your eternal life. Because death is like a shadow that passes over you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is like a shadow that passes over you. You move from this natural realm into the spiritual realm, which is a real realm. It's not a make-believe imaginary realm. And you continue to live on when Jesus comes and he redeems and he, he gives us new immortal bodies. We get new bodies. Uh, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. You have this continuation of life. The moment you step across the line as a full-pledged follower and believer and trusting Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, saying, Lord, come into my life. I want to live for you. You are given eternal life. But that that eternal life is not for the eons in the future it begins today that's why we need to be living our life in fullness today yes we live in a fallen broken sinful world and maybe you've been discriminated against maybe you've been attacked maybe things haven't gone your way but you have eternal life as a follower of jesus and peter says where else are we going to go for eternal life you are the one who embodies it and imparts it and then he says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, for all the doubting, and we know the story of what happened with Peter, right? On Good Friday and the crucifixion and his denial and all that, this was a shining moment for Peter. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God.
Peter knew something that I just want to remind us of here today, if you've never thought of it in these terms. To walk away from Jesus is to walk towards someone or something else. What's your choice? What is that someone or something else that you're going to turn and walk towards? Maybe it's some type of lifestyle. Maybe it's some type of belief in, you know, some incredible future with a particular person or uh, a particular change. I, I, I don't know. Well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? To whom shall you go? When you're confronted with the hard teachings of Jesus and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Come into this deep communion with me. I'm the bread of life that comes out of heaven. He who believes in me will have eternal life. Well, this thing, you're like, okay, okay, this is hard. It's weird and it's, it's a costly discipleship. But to whom shall we going to go? Where did some of those other people go? To walk away from Jesus is to walk towards someone or something else. Can, can I ask you something? Have you ever had one of those moments? Maybe it was doubt. Maybe it was heaviness of spirit. Maybe it was confusion. Where you didn't know, maybe I need to unfollow. If you haven't had one, you will have one. Because it's a common kind of thing. I remember one of those seasons for me. I don't know, I was probably 27, 28. I just left a really vibrant ministry as a pastor of young adults, college and career people. But I felt God had called me to this other church that was in another city. And so I went to that city, and, and it was sort of this part-time kind of job, and I, I knew it was like a turnaround, renewal church kind of effort, and I was like going to be the assistant pastor, and yeah, I was going to run with the youth ministry some, and, and I was going to be able to preach some and sort of help the church turn around. I remember I went and I, I got a... a uh, an apartment on the south side of town uh, on old trail road and and definitely it just seemed to be old in that area of town and i got one of uh, those apartments that are above somebody's house sort of like an efficiency apartment you know what an efficiency apartment is right it's it's where you can do everything standing in the same place you can brush your teeth you can fix your food you can turn on the tv all that kind of stuff yeah, i mean you just uh, convenience it's really efficient right and so it's 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 one of those environments that i i could just picture myself there and um, I was buried with confusion and disconcern because I was sort of lost. I, I felt God had called me there, but I'm like, do I really stay in ministry? Is this what I need to do? Uh, Melissa and I had a relationship sort of come and going at that time, and she told me she was done. And she was on the East Coast then, so it probably was done. There was checking in my spirit going, why do I want to be a pastor anyway? I mean, like, who would want to be married to a pastor and have to put up with that life? And then, you know, I'm going to set aside some of these other ambitions. And I guess sort of got entrepreneurial, let's charge the hill, kind of let's you know, make things happen. I, I, there was a state of quandary, and I seriously tried to labor into, should I, should I just call this quits? Because I thought maybe I was pretty good, but it ain't nothing happening here. I love the people, and... To this day, I know some of them, but it was just a tough time. Really, Jesus, this is what you're calling me to do, lay down my life for you like you laid down your life for me. You see, these times will come when you are going to feel like you need to <clears throat> unfollow. And you know when those times come, 
It's during times of transition, times of trouble, and times of temptation because they create questions. And maybe it's you moved from one place. Maybe you moved from somewhere else to Southern California. Maybe you're a SoCal person and you you like this environment. You get moved and transported to somewhere else. And you're even watching online today. And you're like, oh, my goodness. And and, and during times of transition, questions come. Is this right? Is God going to be there? Because he doesn't seem to be coming through. And, And really, is everything I believe up for grabs? And then there's trouble and challenges that come. Where's the resources at? And my goodness, this... Oh, temptations. Sometimes it's not some deep, dark temptation. It's like, wow, she, he's really cute, man. I know he doesn't know the Lord, but he's really cute. Or like, she, she's like really so, she's so, so a lot. And uh, <laughs> I, um, you know, she's beautiful, but not a follower of Jesus. And so you have to make some decisions. You're, you're tempted to, to go off the path. But you know God's voice has been speaking to you. And this was one of those moments. Jesus laid down a hard teaching. Who can accept this? After hearing this, many turned about face and followed him no longer. He looks over at his 12. What about you? You guys taken off too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. You see, there'll be times when questions come to you, and whether it's through transition, trouble, or temptation. And those transitions, those troubles, those temptations, they're going to create a lot of questions. Questions tend to complicate things in our life. What if, or should I, or how about? But considering the options sometimes simplifies them. And that's what Peter did in that moment. Okay, I could take off. I could quit ministry. I could go and be part of my family's farm corporation. I could go do something else with my systems analysis, computer degree. I could, you know, horsepower up. I, I, I could do all those things, but... Is that turning from, and to whom shall I go? I mean, I, I want your blessing. And for me, vocational ministry was a calling. Each of you have callings, foremostly to be a disciple. You're called by Jesus to him to be a follower of his. But in what you do, there's going to come these times of questions and compromise, and you're going to have to decide, do I hit the unfollow button? But I encourage you in those times of questioning to look at your options. Seriously consider your options and where they will go. Considering the options simplifies those questions. If not Jesus, if not Christianity, what? To whom shall I go? That's what I leave you with. You're like, Wow, the whole series ends like right there? It's about following. But we talked about the defining moments when there's cost and other kinds of things. But these were real moments that Jesus had, whether it was with the masses or with his close, that were close to him, where you have to make the decision, I'm staying with being a follower of the Lord Jesus because he has eternal life. I 
know and I believe that he is the son of God. And even though things may not be going well right now or not be going well next month or next year, who else do I turn to? And that's a serious question. And you can pursue that path for a while. Hey, man, I'm taking off with her. She's pretty beautiful. I mean, you can, uh, I mean, you can become a Christian any time, but you can't become beautiful. I mean, I you, probably shouldn't have said that. I mean, add, add 25, 30 years to that, right? We all change. Probably shouldn't have said that either. Us men, too. Right? <laughs> Love my wife. But you got to think through. You got to think through where some of those decisions lead. And Peter was wise in that moment. To whom shall we go? I want to leave you with one last consideration of a temptation. I really shouldn't describe it as a temptation. But I've lived long enough in the Christian circle, circuit, to see this happening. And it's another T word. The questions come during times of transition, trouble, and temptation. But I also see that they come in times of tiredness. I've been doing this Christian gig for a long time. Some things turn out well, some things don't. I'm just weary. I've been through every circle. I've been in Pentecostal circles. I've been in fundamentalist circles. I've been around people that like to wave their hands. I've been around people that like to say a private creed. I've been around Christians who are all, you know, bunkering away from the world because it's so evil. And I've been around Christians that think that they, they, they need to be the next uh, uh, political savior of the world. I'm just weary. I'm tired of it. Christians disappoint me. God's disappointed me. I try to keep up. There's been times when I've been close, and then there's times when I'm distant. And friends, there's some of you here right today that there's tiredness in your Christian life. And there's a question that comes to you. What about you? To whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. The thing that strikes me about this passage, and like I said, we didn't have time to dive into it today, what he was preaching to them about concerning eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. I'm the true bread of life that comes down from heaven. You can nourish on me. You can live. The spirit gives life. I'm the spirit. I come to give you the spirit. There's deep things spiritually that we need to go after. We need to have a hunger for God's word. We need to have a hunger for Jesus himself and start all over again. Some of the temptations that we're being carried by can be overcome by only one way, and that's what I refer to as the expulsive power of a competing passion. The passion to know Christ and to make Him known, to draw near to Him. The weariness and tiredness, yes, Christians will disappoint. I will disappoint you. This church will disappoint you. I disappointed people this very week. But do not grow weary in well-doing, Scripture says, before you will reap a, a reward, a harvest, in an appropriate time. You pick up the word of God. You pick up and embrace prayer. You plow yourself back into serving his purposes in life, beginning with your family. And you seek out his fullness. Do not say, this is too hard, and walk away. 
how many of those people would say, what if? What if I hadn't unfollowed Jesus? In our midst today, through your spirit and who you're speaking to, I pray that you would breathe a breath of fresh air. May the winds of encouragement and hope come to a soul whether here or watching online, the soul who is in transition, who is troubled, who is tempted, or who is just tired, and may you draw them to yourself. Lord, we pray for those who are in transition. We pray for our children who are in transition. Lord, we pray for those stepping into another year of middle school or returning back to school as classes open. For those who are in high school, those transitioning from high school to college, from college into young adulthood or into marriage, those who are transitioning maybe from one city to another or from one job or career to another. Lord, we pray for those who are troubled because of circumstances in their life. Those who may be tempted even by very good things seemingly, but they pull away from knowing you. And Lord, for those who are tired this morning, just weary in their Christian faith, we pray for those souls here and in connection with us that you may speak and draw them to be fully devoted followers of you. And Lord, may we in our temptation, our troubled, transition, tired times, may we do as Peter and evaluate the options and return and stay with you for only you have the words of eternal life. And if there's anyone who doubts those statements, Lord, may they dig into your word, even this very chapter of chapter John 6 that we looked at today. But Lord, may they take their questions, may they pursue others to answer those questions Lord, we know not all of our questions can get answered on this side of heaven, but Lord, for those with doubts that are double-minded, that who have maybe never been a follower of yours, Lord, may they take a hold of the reins to come seek you. And may you reveal yourself and bless them richly. Lord, you are the one who has eternal life. And we are your followers. Amen. Thanks for the journey on this series. Many of you have expressed that it's been a rich series for you. You can identify with it. Come back next week. It's really a continuation and part of the follow series because Jesus is heading into Jerusalem for Passion Week on Palm Sunday. God bless.